Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we're talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science and logic. It's my pet theory that strategy and planning can be a creative secret weapon and vice versa, and that we overly separate disciplines in our industry. So today, we are joined by the Chief Engineer of Building Internal Bridges, Asad Sheikh. Asad is Head of Strategy at Grey London and Group Strategy Director at Pride in London, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Opal, for having me. Very, very excited to be here, and uh, what a great, great thing to talk about on a Friday. I mean, I, I, I think so, but I'm <laughs> not biased at all. Um, so let's let's delve right in. Um, can we just start with learning a bit about you? I mean, you've got these incredible positions that, that you're working in at the moment. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point? So um, being South Asian, uh, of course, I come from a family of doctors um, and I like to call myself the white sheep of the family, actually. Um, and um, I think the journey has been it's been really, really interesting without going into um, the Jurassic era when I was born. Uh, it's, uh, I always had a, a quite a keen interest towards, um, art, media and design. Um, and, uh, my initial, I, I did my undergrad in computer sciences. So I think that's where, uh, the logic or the function part of being a strategist started forming because you start thinking about problem, so problem solving in a modular way. Uh, then my propensity towards creativity, always being the odd one out, always being attracted to um, the things in the media um, and also self-expression, I think, got me towards a little more towards the art. Uh, then instead of putting that together, so I like art and I like self-expression, but then I do love um, a commercial challenge as well. So, of course, and when I've looked around, it's like, oh, you know, like advertising strategy, Brand planning is just the perfect marriage of both those skill sets. Um, so I thought I'll try, try my hand at that, and that's that's where we are. So, of course, I mean, I worked all over, you know, across lots of different brands, lots of different agencies. Uh, now I call Gray my home. Uh, for Pride in London, um, when I moved, when I was studying here in the, in the UK doing my master's, I experienced my first Pride in London, and I just felt so unbelievably welcomed by just, I just felt that London just gave me a massive hug. Um, and I think based on that, and that was a good 15 years ago, if not more. Um, and that's where this, this for London giving me a home, I just wanted anybody and everybody else who comes to London who feels they are the other uh, to give back to them. And that's where I started volunteering for Pride in London for um, four or five years ago. Now, here we are. So it's been a mishmash of uh, things, adventures and experiences, um, but I'd regret nothing. Of course, of course. And I wonder, so our, our theme for the month is, is idols. We're, we're exploring idols, but we're exploring that idea of whether idolizing people is ever an actually good thing. And if so, how is it a good thing? So I'm wondering if along your journey, have there been any kind of key people in your career that you've idolized or, you know, just leveling it down slightly have just been pivotal to to that journey and the, and the lessons that you've learned on it? I think that's a, a phenomenal phenomenally important question and I wish I had a lovely prepackaged answer for that but uh, if 
as you can see, my my journey, I personally think everybody's journey is very unique. Uh, but being where I am and who I am as a queer brown immigrant uh, who's working in as a head of strategy and then also working Pride in London, I I didn't get to see many people who went on a similar journey. However, not having an idol is is less important. Having allies is so much more important. Having allies that you look up to and they are whatever they are doing in in whatever they feel, they might be adjacent to you or they might be older than you, more experienced, younger, it doesn't really matter. But it's where you find inspiration. I think that's that's very, very important. So along the journey, I found many people, many, many people who have inspired me to stitch together this journey that I've been on. And and um, and I love uh, the Marion Edelman um, writes saying about you can't be what you can't see. Uh, and I've, I've really just kind of taken it to heart um, and just to demonstrate, you know, uh, if a journey like mine can be valid, accepted, and I'm sitting here talking to you, uh, that could be anybody's journey. So it's very important to tell the stories of your own journey, not in, in in hopes or desires of becoming an idol, just so that if you can inspire somebody else as other people as the allies that were on my way inspired me, um, uh, that, that mean that I, I think that if I can do that, that my job is done. And um, I, lo- I love I love linking that quote with uh, Gandhi's quote about um, be the change you want to see in the world because I think they're sister quotes. Um, and so exactly like if you want to see, if you want to, if you can't find an idol, um, then find the allies that will help you become somebody else's. And I think if all of us start doing that, I think I think the whole society will be a better place. Beautiful. Stunning. I have nothing, like, I have no words. I can simply not add anything to that. Um, so bringing you back down to the Adland for a hot second, is there any work that you idolised or that you feel has had kind of, that you've worked on or anyone else has worked on that you feel has had that kind of pivotal cultural value that you feel has done a similar thing in terms of moving society forward? I think any work, frankly, I mean, I think just focusing just on um, one piece of work is was quite difficult, but I think any work uh, that really looks at society and then sees what is happening right now and has the courage to reflect it um, in a way that is, positive is phenomenal work. It really, really is. So maybe 10 years ago, it could have been something entirely different. Now it could be something entirely different. So I think, um, and I guess that also links back to the question about idols. I think idols do change. So I think an ideal ideal piece of work also changes quite a bit. Um, But I think recently the work for example, I mean, I, I love the work Bodyform is doing uh, about um, about how how the female reproductive system or genitalia works, which, is, which has been working like that for centuries, millennia. So, but understanding that this is a conversation that needs to be had, we can't ignore that, and then bringing it to the to the fold, I think that's that that's just phenomenal. I I think pieces like that are not just work. I think they're culture defining. So, 
Um, I, I think that that's wonderful. There is some fantastic work coming out um, uh, which supports um, our trans siblings. I think that's that's extremely extremely important. I think it's um, the JB Whiskey work. I think which came out about like the, the you know the only there's this beautiful piece of work which is um, this older man who um, applies makeup in secret uh, from his hiding from his wife and his family, and you're always thinking about. I mean, I shouldn't let. I, I mean, go go Google it, right? Like, really, it's in a great piece of work. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to reveal it, but I just think it was such a beautiful story of acceptance towards one of the most marginalized communities uh, in the world right now, which is the trans community. So I think it is the work which puts forward. It doesn't have to be meaningful or purposeful. It just needs to be truthful and reflective of what is going on around us. I think sometimes we get really caught up in. Oh, we need to have meaning, and we need to be purposeful. And I just—I don't think it's that. It's just, just look around you. You know, the people um, who need a platform. There are people who want to be understood. And just if you, if you just take an observation like that, and and and, and then actually link it to either the product or the service that you're trying to convey, that's just genius. And that's the kind of work I love. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think. It even even the Libras body form work is is super important to start conversations, but also just witnessing it as a woman who was assigned female at birth, I feel seen and validated in my experience, and that's purposeful. Even if it never changed a single conversation in the real world, it changed something in me, and I think we forget sometimes, you know, because we like, don't get me wrong, effectiveness is incredibly important. You know, we are working towards business KPIs. All of that is great. But sometimes I do think that we forget that the emotional impact that we have on individuals can in some ways be so much more powerful because they become an ambassador of you and your brand and what you do. And, you know, I've I've done that so many times with brands I don't even I don't even buy from, I find. Like, you know, Patagonia, I'm not an outdoorsy person. I'm not an outdoorsy <laughs> person at all. Um, I'm like very much an inside gal. Um, but I will always talk about their work, share their work, um, comment and support it when it's when it's in digital media and all of that kind of thing, because it makes because it says something that I believe in, regardless of whether I I buy from that brand or not, um, and I think I think that can be equally purposeful. But uh, um, open, I think you just quite quite beautifully unlocked the equation uh, which links emotion and effectiveness. Right, like if you can create a connection, an emotional connection uh, with your audience based on the audience's cultural values, whatever they might be, that is the first step towards creating an action that's it's no rocket science this is it's basic psychology right once that action is taken that is then the first step towards effectiveness right so i think we sometimes get so lost in like we have to be purposeful and then we start to be over exactly on over at one side and then we have to do something else for effectiveness they are so intrinsically linked and that's why I always say it's, and I think I know we're going to explore a little bit more of that as this conversation moves forward, that there's a there's a really simple link between emotion and function. It really, really is. 
So if we focus on emotion, which really is the only the only re, the only way you can um, connect with somebody emotionally is to understand what matters to them, and that is by understanding the culture that you're in, and that is how you will extract value out of that. And I think that's something. I mean, I personally believe in. I think at Gray we talk about cultural value almost ad nauseum. We are slightly obsessed with it, but. Um, and I know cultural value kind might seem like a really, really big statement, but it is truly just understanding what matters to all of us, all individuals, and then creating something, creating a message or creating an experience around it that will instill emotion that will result in action. That's it. Exactly. And it can be at any one of those levels. It, it might be going out and buying the product immediately, but it also might be just taking that that first step on 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 that process, essentially. And and also, Opal, if I may add to that, I think absolutely that going out and buying the product or availing the service is, as, as advertisers and marketers, we will want that, right? But I think there is, we need to think of us a step before that as well. We are functioning in, uh, in the, it's not a financial economy, it's not a capitalistic economy, we are functioning in an attention economy, right? People have, uh, our attention is more... I don't like the word divided because it's quite negative. I think our our attention is um is 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 being nourished by a lot of different stimuli. A lot of different stimuli, right? And that's and the brain has tremendous power. It's not gonna shut down because of a lot of stimuli. We we love it. And I think as we as as we move forward, the younger generation has even more capacity to absorb so many different things and make so such beautiful things out of it. But if we are functioning in an attention economy, just finding a little space within that where your message lands based on some sort of an emotional connection, that's a win for me right there. Because when that's land and that's lodged in somebody's brain and the memory structures are made, whether you do immediately go out the product or you go, you, do, you, do, you might, might buy the product, might not buy the product. But eventually when that product or service will come in front of you and need the point of decision, you will be like, ping, 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 that's the one I want. And that's a win. It's it's setting up that psychological structure, as as you kind of put it, to be ready for that moment. And so let's 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 dig in to to that um, to the core of the podcast, I guess. Really, um, I describe strategy and creativity as kind of art, science, and logic, and um, encountered many many people who feel that you can't or you can't very well have a mind that works both ways. But everything you just said, I'm just. You can't see this, listeners, but I'm just nodding a lot, um, and I am just so intrigued. How how do you think? I mean, you've expressed it quite beautifully already, but I'm interested when it comes to thinking of your own self and your own mind um, and your own work. How do you think of how kind of your brain works and how you work in terms of those two kind of separate things that we really truly believe are intertwined? I think that's I, I think that's such an interesting question. So if I if I if I had known how my mind worked, I would have saved a lot of money on counseling. Preach. Uh, but so I'm still on that journey, and I think that's a lifelong journey. <laughs> and you know what? That's a that's a lifelong journey to understand how your mind works. So any ways or means that can help you do that, go for it. It is the your mind is the best gift that has been given to you. By by nature or by any any anything anybody or any deity that you believe in, um, 
as far as how my mind works, I think there is a bit of a mind and body connection as well. I think, as you can see, like I always think quite a lot in, in harmony because I, I like to think in harmony because I don't necessarily, being who I am, I don't like labels. I've never thought of it that way. And I think even sometimes we divide our own ways of not being but doing into labels and, and divisions as well. One thing which I, I I go for is, and as 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 my hair has gone grey, which I'd start to believe a little more is instinct. You know, when you have the right solution when it comes to strategy, or when you have the right idea when it comes to creative, your body should react to it, and you should listen to that. You you know, and I, you know what, and a lot of people. I've asked this question to a lot of creators, and it's my favorite favorite pub question. It's like, what? It's not like what what brought you into advertising or strategy or creative. It's like what keeps you here, because what brings us into is ambition, um, you know, prestige, glory. Um, but what what uh, what keeps me at least here, and a lot this answer is uh, echoes with a lot of the people that I've talked to, is that feeling that you get when you when you come up with an idea, right? So if that is what we're chasing all time, lean into that a little bit more. Understand when you come to a solution, whether it's like I said, creative or strategy, what does your instinct say? If it excites you, and if you can't wait to share that with somebody else, you're on the right track. So there are lots of ways, there are hundreds and hundreds of frameworks how you get to that point, but it's so important to understand when you uh, get to that point, that is the right point. So... For me, um, it is just chasing that high uh, until I get it right, and I, that's what I then that's what I try to do. And I know it's not like again, it's not emotional function or something. It's something which is quite intrinsic, which is instinctive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think as as someone who does both, I feel like I absolutely get the same physical, mental, emotional reaction when I come to a great insight or a great solution or a great idea or a great execution. It feels the same. You know it in your bones. You know it in your bones, and I think it's it's, it's and as I like I said, as as I've gotten older, um, I think there is there are so many when when you're practicing something new when you're younger, um, there's generally like you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? It's like and now almost in my thirties, we're all about learning. My forties will be like are or are going all about unlearning, unlearning a lot of self doubt, unlearning a lot of Things like, is this right or this is wrong? And trusting your instinct. So, but if you can start honing those earlier on, uh, you will you will come to the right solutions, ideas, uh, and you will express them in a much more passionate way because that's our job. 100%. 100%. Couldn't love that idea that you start by learning and then you you've carry on by unlearning all the things that don't serve you. I mean, if that's not a life plan, then I don't know what is. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. So, I mean, it, it, it's, as you say, I love that they just don't exist within you in this, in this kind of binary way that so much of society forces absolutely everything in, into, um, but is there, is there something specifically about can that, that connecting data, that connecting that, you know, computer science is part of your brain with that creative storytelling brain that 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 get that gets you super excited that that gives you that feeling um 
that you always ask everyone else about. I'm asking you. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I know everybody, everybody says this, right? And I think they're all right. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not definitely not criticizing this. Every like that we, we have to tell a story, right? Of course. But then when this question, this question has been asked, then I really wanted to get into like, it's, it's so easy to say you tell a story, right? But I just need to, maybe the modular mind, I just needed to dissect a little bit what it is. Um, so if you think about it, um, story is all a story. Any story is all about delivering information with emotion, right? So if the information is all the data points that you have, the emotion is how do you link them together? If you get that right, then you have a story that will resonate and people will remember. Fascinating. I, it's, it's, it's actually so interesting that you say that because the last interview I recorded um, with the lovely Stu Lambert from Blurred, he was the first person who's ever said to me, I think storytelling is a strategic process. It's the three and five act structure. And it, it, that's almost exactly what you're saying is there's there's these points that you have to hit. That's all we're doing. and But that is then connecting those in an emotional human and that's like, for example, like Cinderella's story arc is 3000 years old. It is one of the old and that's also the hero story. And I know there are like, there are, I think three or four or maybe hundreds more um, frameworks of telling a story, but they all follow a particular path. It's like they are, they are in exactly what Sri Lambert said, like it's like connecting those dots, but understanding what those dots have to say. And how do you connect them with a cadence that, that will, people will remember? And once that is clear, I think the craft is, the, the, the beauty, that's where, because even now, even now, if we live in an age of data, and data is extremely important, absolutely, almost that we aren't, there is a surplus of data, right? But the, the best use of it is, and, and the people who use it the best is the craft of how they connect those dots together to tell newer stories, more original stories, more poignant, more resonant stories as well. So that's something, and that's a lifelong process of learning and understanding how do you connect that as well. But um, I know that but as, a, as bare bones, um, that's where we start and then we add flourish to it, but all that we have and the stories that we've lived through and the stories that we've been told as well. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, which is basically my answer to every single thing you say at this point, but there we go. Um, I, I I wonder, have you always been, you, it seems that now that you, you really fully understand yourself as, as and and those processes as, as fully entwined, but was it always that way for you? Did you have that instinct and trust that from early on? Or did you did you fight to a degree with with the way that society does make us pit pit those things against each other often? The question I'm asking is: Did you face any challenges from from the industry, from people within the industry, the way that the industry has historically and specifically at the the beginning of the digital boom, kind of tried to disconnect data from creative and put people in different departments and forced as society often does these binaries and and created some tension between those two or did you always have that innate knowledge 
that you knew that they were connected and you just kept fighting that fight? No, of course not. I mean, I, I, I think I, like everybody else, I've been on a journey in that. And I think, uh, I think what you, you previously said beautifully as well, it's like, you know, we are, uh, so generally as a society, we're obsessed with labels and we, we are, we, as human beings, we like reductionism, right? Because it helps us understand the unbelievably complex world that everybody lives in, right? So then it's just easy. And also you go into, um, there is always a tension between what needs to be done and how it shall be done. And I let me explain that. Like in a way that what needs to be done is the output, but how shall it be done? It, it has to form some structures so people or agencies or any any kind of organization which has a particular output has to be divided into different departments. And those departments need to have different roles. Um, having those different roles give people within those departments meaning. They understand what they're doing and then you have to connect those things together. So there is rhyme and reason how it is and what it is. I think... As I think all, a majority of us are a function of those, and it's like, and then we go back to about um, unlearning all of that in a way that you know you you provide something original. Um, I think earlier, um, especially with the proliferation of digital media and more channels, um, I think all of us got, especially me, I got a little obsessed with um, what do I have to say. It's like, what do I have to say? It's like, you know, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? What do you have to say? What I then, within that, and not having a bigger picture at that point in time is, but I, I forgot, like, why do I have to say it? And I think once I started realizing, like, why do I have to say, and why am I creating this output? Because being so obsessed with the output, the reasoning behind it kind of went away. And I know this is, this this can rise above, organizational structures to something which is much more simpler. It's like, when it comes to like, don't be obsessed about what you have to say. And I think a lot of people are because they want a certain kind of output from you. Do think about why do you have to say it? And then comes the how, which is the creative expression of it. So I think in my mind is what is the information? Why is the purpose? And then how is the idea? And once you start putting all of these things together, it's, it, it will it just makes sense. It's not, it really is not rocket science, but suppose we have to function in particular ways that sometimes get in the way. But but if we start thinking about that, that makes it easy. Absolutely. And is there is there any, you know, just to those organizational structures, is there a specific way that you kind of work with your teams or with your team's mindsets, how you structure projects, meetings, etc. Is there any specific ways that you've kind of come up with over the years of of really aiding that process on a practical level? Of course. And I think just that it's to be long-winded answer to the previous question. Let me be short about this one. It's, it's, but I think it, it set up the stage. So if strategy is the why, in a strategy department has to produce the why. Why should this matter to the audience? Why are we doing this? Then the creativity is the how. How are we going to express it, right? So there is an intrinsic relationship between the why and the how. They cannot exist in isolation. It's like, how can a why and a how exist in isolation? It's just, be, it's, it's so simple. Once the departments have very clearly know that 
I need to produce a why that needs to feed into the how, but the how could question the why. It's like, why, why are we doing this? And the why can question the how. That's the kind of relationship I love to foster in between departments. I work with, um, and that, it creates two things. It creates uh, accountability because Strat needs to have a responsibility of the why and it has to be the responsibility of the how. It also uh, encourages interconnectivity, which is open dialogue between the two and debate as well. And that, because everybody has to defend what they're trying to say, that friction then creates something which is seamless. It really is like two paint colors coming together and creating something new. And uh, again, I might be, a little, be being a little poetic about that, but it is, I do think things like this are not that, are not that complex. We just need to get the basic philosophy of creative work right. And if we get that, I think that tears down a lot of boundaries. It takes people out of these particular roles. I need to create and to write a brief and I'll present it into a platter to the creative director. Creative director will take it and just go somewhere else and take them on a mountain and think of something amazing. It's so, it's, it's, it, it, these are like such interesting stories that have been set up. And yes, of course, like I say, they have been set up because there are departments, there are functions, there's productivity, profitability, all of those things. But all those things, do function really well if there is interconnectivity between the wild. Absolutely. And what what do you think? Do you think that that has a connection or that the lack of that interconnection in some cases has impacted the work that we make? The, the way I think we can generally agree that as an industry, our work in some ways has been getting in the traditional sense and from various papers less creative. Do you think that has anything to do with our ability to, you know, foster that interconnectivity? I think it makes the difference between good work and great work. Oh. Work will be done, you know. If people are working, they will create something. It's, it's like, you know, people, there, is a, there, there are resources towards it, there will be an output. But the greatness of the work comes through the connection, the greatness of the work comes through this collision and um, which we talk about quite a lot at Grey. We talk about the collision of difference quite a bit as well. And uh, difference is something. I love that, that phrase. My, my personal mantra is um, difference is creativity is superpower. It really is. But unless those difference point, different points of view, different schools of thought, different opinions come together that is the only way to make something new and that is the only way to make something great. Otherwise, what happens most of the time, we go into uh, an assembly line model. Creativity, automobiles can be made on assembly line. And, and you know, it's been, it's been for hundreds of years they've been made and, you know, love cars. However, creativity, perhaps not so much. It, there is an inherent chaos within creativity, which should be encouraged and collisions should happen to create something new. That again, this is not limited to advertising at all. It's limited to all all idea generation. Mm, I love that collision idea. The collision is where the, where the magic happens, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I love that. And I know, I know that you do a lot of mentoring and, you know, over the years you've set up multiple schemes, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I wonder, what what are the lessons that you've learned about about those processes from the people that 
you've mentored, but also is there anything that you've noticed recently? Are there any changes, any trends? Is there more or less of a openness to, to different disciplines? I just would love to know what some of your experience from that is. So I think that the, uh, the first part uh, of this question, I mean, I'm, I, I actually believe in um, bi-directional mentoring. I think mentoring is quite, it's always quite unidirectional. It's very hierarchical. Um, I think, and I, I think that's just because we, just because if you go into mentoring, then you go into the history of repentanceship, where like, you know, there's somebody who is a master of their craft and that somebody's coming in and they teach them that particular craft. I think when we talk about specifically about advertising, um, I think we are talking about culture and what's current in culture. To find what's valuable in culture, my points of view, and I, I, uh, I joke with my, with my husband that like my one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to become that the past references queen, <laughs> which means like all my cultural references are like ten years old, right? So if I'm functioning in culture, the people who are usually the people I'm mentoring are, are younger. They can teach me about subcultures that I don't know anything about, right? And vice versa. I can perhaps teach them a thing or two that I've learned along the way as well. So I think, um, I think I don't necessarily see how the individuals are shifting uh, when it comes to mentoring now. I think I feel that I want to bring a shift within what mentoring is, really. So that it's a mutually learning experience. And I think ever since I've started practicing that, it's been it's been just so much it's been so much fun. It really it's just been fun. And I think it's learn it's it's and I think just if you can't learn if you're not having fun. And don't get me started about like the school, the education system and all that. Oh, I Lord, no. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Whole different so, no, I, I I love that because I really think that's one of the things that, that we don't talk about with mentoring enough, especially with the industry's obsession with Gen Z at the moment. It's oh, like, I'm pretty sure I'm learning more from them than they are from me. 100%. And when, when that honesty is there, it creates such an equal structure, mm. which is great. And that that equal structure then helps with collision. That equal structure helps with understanding culture. It creates create it helps in creating value. Um, also, the, the, the for the second part of your question, which I I really like, is like what is there? Um, what is the generally the change that you see that might be happening? within the industry and I, I think I mean the industry is in our, because our industry is inherently linked with culture and we're constantly create, trying to create value within it um, our industry is constantly changing like culture is constantly changing I think what's most exciting to me right now is the democratization of creative tools because which is so exciting and I know some people are just like life threatening for some people and all that that people are really afraid but of course I mean everybody has the right feeling like what they feel and everybody's feelings is, are valid um, however I think that is creating a breed of creatives who are so to them 
more tools mean more expression and that also means less barriers to express. And I just think that is so pure and interesting and exciting. Um, I I love this this commentary on, for example, I know artificial intelligence, everybody's talking about it, artificial intelligence. It's coming out to get us, it's going to kill creativity. Just quickly two things on that as an example. One is, um, I think human creativity has so much more resilience than it is just going to die just from artificial intelligence. Do you know why? Because our creativity is not linked to output. Our creativity is also linked to how we use creative tools like artificial intelligence to make something entirely new. As you can see, uh, right now, there are so many AI-generated images. The funny thing is they all have started to look a little bit samey, right? Because the input to that is limited. Where is the, is the input going to come from? From human, the human condition, of course. So the future belongs to, to me, especially in the mentoring space, and what but but what what young creativity is bringing into it is the future I believe belongs to not people um, who are afraid of artificial intelligence. We shouldn't be afraid of artificial intelligence. We should be appreciate appreciative of people who know how to use it. And I think that knowing how to use these tools is changing our industry. And I think that's that's just so exciting. I couldn't agree more. And. When when we're thinking of that future of future of the industry, is there? Do you think therefore that that knowing how to use those AI tools, for instance, you know, having an understanding of the Web three space potentially, those kinds of things, do you think those are going to become kind of necessary skill sets for for the future of of the industry, or do you think that they're maybe getting too much? too much attention than they actually require so it's that's it's really that's an interesting debate right because they're all pieces of technology i'm going to be a past references queen and i'm going to reference the splitting of the atom now uh yes <laughs> come <laughs> through <laughs> so of course right like you know at one point you had a wonderful reservoir of energy that is usable on the other hand, it also created immense destruction as well, right? So technology will always have both the angel and the devil on its shoulders, right? It's how we use it. I think these are, again, like I said, these are all um, tools that perhaps, I'm not exactly sure if they're going to be essential for particular types of creativity. But one thing, which is my open-hearted appeal to anybody who is creative, they're tools. Why wouldn't you want to learn how to use them? Why wouldn't you want to see like what beautiful ideas they will suck out of your head and put in front of people? Well, I don't know. What is the battle here? And is the battle between an ego saying that what I know, and there's a whole theory about like, you know, about like, and which I, I, I really hope it doesn't apply to me, is that beyond 35, which I am, Beyond 35, the technology that comes in, we start actually um, uh, intentionally reject any technology coming out of society for some reason. Um, but for I think for a creative mind, it never ends. The more tools that we have for self-expression. So I don't see uh, whether it's going to be a skill set that is required. I think if you are a creative spirit, yes, more power to creativity. 
And if these are the power tools, bring them. Use them. Absolutely. And on, on the flip side then, do you think there's any emotional, human, intangible skills that are becoming more important as the industry becomes more more complex and our worlds become more complex? I think that's, it's, it's, and I love that question. And um, I'm just going to keep my theme of harmony because even, even, I think this this conversation is as self-revelatory than me. I'm learning a lot more about myself. And I just think, I think there's harmony, right? I think when it comes to emotional skills, such as skills, um, and it's linked to my previous answer around tools, is to understand difference. Understand difference, really. A lot of people talk about empathy, which I think is absolutely important. A lot of people talk about emotional. I think all of these things are important, but when I really thought about it, it's like, just understand difference. Difference of thought, difference of opinion, background. It will do you wonders. It will be your superpower. It could be also be the understand the difference of like, I don't know how to use this tool. It's so different to how I've done things in the past. Try to understand it. Whether it's a human psyche, try to understand it. I think that skill in, I, I hope and I believe is always going to help you. It's always going to expose you to new ways of thinking and doing. And I think if that's not what creativity thrives on, I don't know what is. So, and and to do that, I mean, because it's it's a beautiful answer, and it's it it is so complex and simple and perfect harmony. Ironically, um, how do you how do you feel? I mean, Gray's Gray's a big old beast of a company. How do you feel that you know those agencies, those studios, you know, magazines, whatever it might be. How do you feel that we can, is it, is it truly just we need to get our mindsets right about those things or are there structural things that we need to be doing to enable, well, firstly, we, we know our industry has a massive diversity and inclusion problem, Indeed. for instance, connecting to your, your pride work. What is there on a structural level do you, do you think that we need to be doing to make more kind of interconnected, harmonious, inclusive environments as an industry, whether that be because you are the magic of difference in being creative and strategic or because you're brown and gay. Mm. And that is different in our in our industry, unfortunately. Is there anything that you think about how we can Im- start improving that from kind of a structural level as well as a kind of simply philosoph- simply philosophical <laughs> I think I think that's re really, again a very important question I think um there is just again linking to from my previous answer there are two things understanding difference is step number one then welcoming difference is step number two um mm. the 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 challenge that we have is sometimes difference becomes fetishized Yes. It becomes literally um, skin deep. And we feel, and that is usually happens when we disregard step number one, which is to understand difference. We just welcome difference in. Mm, then when, right on, putting it. When, that, when that starts happening without understanding, it's like, oh, but this person is bound to speak them in. This person is a particular background. We need to understand why we, we are bringing them in. This, these are, 
uh, we, as like I said, we, our industry is um, rooted in culture and culture will forever be obsessed with the new, right? When new different things come around, we start fetishizing them. We start, but we, they say, okay, let's just do this. Let's just do this. Let's do this. And I think when I say to understand and welcome difference, it, it goes much deeper. It goes into, of course, I will always stand by, uh, you know, DNI principles that we should have because that is just the doorway to welcoming different schools of thought. But even if it goes beyond race, ethnicity, background, color, religion, it also goes on like if you still have two seemingly very similar candidates in front of you, choose the one who's more different to you. Unfortunately, and they could still be both both could be cis white gendered males, right? Like I'm not I'm I'm I, I'm not going into that that and both equally capable. Unfortunately, what starts happening is similarity bias kicks in and we start choosing which is plaguing our industry. And then we say, mm, oh, you know, the work is kind of the same. Like, right, that's the same. If you're choosing the same people, the same people. So it's like understanding even the choose, please choose the cis, white, gendered, heterosexual man who is at least different to you, that you feel a little tension with, that you feel that mm. there is a different school of thought and there will be a little friction. Because otherwise... Just will go and work in an accountancy firm. Yeah. And by the way, I'm no disregard with accountancy listeners. I think all of you are amazingly creative as well. But I just think if we are functioning in, in a creative industry and our output has to be original, unique, and needs to create some sort of cultural value, it needs to start with an input. Absolutely. It's 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 almost in, intentionally creating space for those collisions to happen, setting up the space for those to happen. Again, cannot simply add any more. I was like, do I have something intelligent to say that's better than that? Absolutely not. Of course I don't. Um, and so finally, my last question, which I've tied myself to and I continue with. What about my theory that creatives and strategy need each other and could potentially work together more closely, more harmoniously, etc.? Do you agree? A hundred, actually a thousand percent, a thousand percent. Number one, because it is, listen, it is, it is a marriage. I've been in one for 10 years, so I have, might have a little bit of experience. Still my first marriage, though, let's say. But, uh, <laughs> but let's just go with what I have right now. Of course it is a marriage. And I, if it, if, if there is communication and mutual respect, then understanding, um, it will be, it will add value to your life. And I've always said that, um, and I think it's because I think creatives and strategists are partners, um, and I've always lived by this fact in my personal life as well, choose a partner that challenges you and respects you because that will help in your growth and then you'll make something, whether it's a life in personal life or an ad in a professional life, will make something which is valuable and it's memorable. And at the end, the second point is the consumer or the client, or sorry, or the client, more importantly, the consumer, the consumer does not see strata created. They see the output. And if that is wonderful, beautiful, interesting, valuable and original, and it comes from a harmonious place, it will land well 
it will be memorable, it will stay with our consumers and our audiences and will probably, hopefully, create pathways towards some sort of action that's based on emotion. Because humans aren't just one thing, so the work we make can't just be one thing. Simple as that, we've solved it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Asad. Is there any other things that that you would like to tell our lovely listeners about or, or leave us with or any exciting work that you're working on that you'd like to shout out or wonderful team members even that you'd like to shout out before before we leave the podcast oh no i just think i like i think um uh a shout out to my pride in london team who you know absolutely who has took me on a journey of um untruly apart from being the other but understanding Mm -hmm. the other and I think that's something that I am really looking forward to wish me luck. I think right now the other is um, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, the other was gays and lesbians. Now the other um, are non-binary people and are trans siblings. So I would love for Pride in London to start focusing a little bit more on a positive projection of them and their identities in, in our culture. Uh, I think I also would give a massive shout out to um, Grey London um, especially Laura who is our president who is just a wonderful wonderful human being absolute absolute queen who has and I guess I I don't I mean I can just obviously sing her praises forever but I think the proof of putting really trying to change the industry is me sitting in this position and letting me do however, whatever I want to do in whatever way I want to do it with. So I think, and also the entire team that she has built around each and every one of them who has supported me in this journey and is, and now I sit here speaking very, very openly with you. Um, I think the absolute last thing, I think it's going to go back to where it all, my journey started from is to everybody who's, anybody who's listening, do not ever compromise who you are. That is your originality. You might be in spaces where people might not understand that. Trust me, you will find other spaces, places and faces who will. But do not compromise who you are for the ones who don't. Well, perfect message to end on. Thank you so much, Asad. It's been such an extreme pleasure. I feel like I've had multiple validations and epiphanies and just wonderful moments throughout this and I I really hope that that comes through to all of our listeners it's been such a joy to talk to you thank you so much for taking the time thank you so much Uh, but likewise thank you so much for taking me on this journey as well and thank you so much for your intelligence kindness and thank you for doing this really like really just spreading like you know people's emotions intelligence help them helping them share their stories i think that's that's just inspirational so please keep on doing what you're doing